This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now have a time of uh, scripture reading. So it's the, today's passage is taken from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 21. So uh, uh, please take out your Bible uh, and you can read. If, yep, right now you can refer to your Bible, or if not, uh, we can refer to the projection here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 21. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it, is, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold so that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of God. Now I'll pass the time to Pastor Andrew Wong, who will share with us God's word. Morning to everyone. You can't, re- you can't re- really reply me, isn't it? Uh, it's a joy to be here. What we used to do on a Sunday is to um, give a handshake of a fellowship, of warm welcome, which we can't do. So why don't we turn around and wave at each other? You can do the kalang wave or whatever wave, just to uh, welcome each other. And uh, just to show that we are so glad to be here together. Now, it's a, again, it's a great joy to be here. And we are right at the start of our First Peter series. We are on the second passage of this week. And uh, for those who are new, who are here with us for the first time or has been here, uh, hasn't been with us for a long time, a very warm welcome to you. Why don't we begin this time by asking God to help us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fellowship of the elect and also a place where we can hear your word. Father, we pray that as we gather this morning that you'll keep our minds sharp, that your Holy Spirit will help us to engage with your word. As we look at the Bible, and as we engage with your truth, that your Holy Spirit will also help us to trust in you greatly. We pray all this for your glory. Amen. Now, if you have your Bible with you, whether at home or here, it'd be great to keep it open as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 21. In fact, you can look at it and see whether, as we share, whether it is aligned with what the passage is saying. Now, in our sleep-deprived 
world and lifestyle, many of us are not as alert as we would like to be, perhaps even today. We need that coffee to jolt us or that hot chocolate for some um, younger friends. No, we need that coffee to start our Monday mornings or perhaps our Mondays and all those mornings. And so we, we love quotes from about coffee. One says this, coffee is that liquid hug for your brain. You can't hug other people, but the coffee can give you that, that jolt. Another paint, print, print on a coffee mug says this, it says, keep calm and drink coffee. No, we, we know the danger when we are not alert when we are driving, when we are at work, when we are hiking, when we are in class. Because we know that when we are not alert, we make mistakes. We endanger ourselves, we lose our way. We are in class where the teacher speaks and everything comes in here, somehow it doesn't go through it and it leaves the year. We know the danger of not being alert. First Peter says, uh, Chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, actually, in its original language, verse 13 will be translated this way, to gird up your, the loins of your mind. And what does that actually mean? So I put a picture there to help us. Basically, the girding up of the loins, uh, in its translation to the first readers, is to roll up their tunic to do heavy work or to get into a battle. In our modern language, you might say, tighten up your pants. No, the belt, not so much of eating and uh, tightening it. So getting up the loins of your mind is to actively prepare ourselves mentally for what is ahead. Imagine a sloppy girding up the loins before getting into a battle. Or in my case, I've actually accidentally brewed decaf coffee many years back on a Monday morning for a, a staff meeting uh, with my small group, and it didn't work very well. Peter says to his readers, you need to have your minds that are alert and sober. In fact, the word therefore in verse 13 gives the reason and the caffeine to be spiritually alert. The therefore points back to what we studied last week in verse 1 to 12 of 1 Peter 1 that tells us we are elect exiles, that we are set apart for Christ, that we have an imperishable inheritance laid up in heaven, but we are not home yet. There are trials ahead. So if last week's passage points us to the glorious future, but we are not home yet, today's passage tells us we are on this Christian journey or a pilgrim's progress and we need to be alert and fully sober, to be on our toes, to be ready for action. Girding up the loins of your mind or drink up and wake up. It's not time to doze off. Now in today's passage, Peter has three imperatives or three commands for his readers as we take this Christian journey. And I just want to give this to us for those who like to take mental notes or physical notes. The three commands or instruction he gave is found in verse 13. He says, set our hope on God's grace. Verse 16, be holy because God is holy. Verse 17, live in reverent fear of God. So that are the three key points for today. Now come back with me again to verse 
13, as I read it fully for us. Verse 13 reads, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So here Peter is saying to his readers, in light of your glorious inheritance, with prepared minds for action, set your hope on God's grace to be given to you. Now the emphasis of setting our hope on God's grace or on God's um, grace to be given to us, it is pointing to our confidence in God that we are staking this whole life on this one hope that will come. Now, every one of us have hopes in life. All of us. You and I, we have hopes. We hope to do well in exams for those of us who are here. Our hope that our projects go well, that our finance, our health are well. Some of us put our hope in a relationship, hoping that you'll drive away some loneliness. Others, we put our hope on children, that they'll be what we did not become. Some of us, we put our hope in modern medicine or surgeons, hoping that they will save us from our illnesses. Now, many of these things are good things, but they're not God things. They're perishable. They're not imperishable. The problem comes when any or all of this hope becomes our ultimate hope in life that makes you sleepless days, weeks, months, that we mortgage and then we sacrifice our life for the promise that these things give us. And then they disappoint us. Peter says here, be alert, clear-minded, and focused. He said this so that his readers can set their hope not on these things, but on something that is imperishable. The eternal inheritance to be given to us when Jesus Christ returns. He says, don't be distracted, not now. In the allegorical book called Pilgrim's Progress, some of you know, my kids love it. There's a Christian called Christian. And he was escaping from the city of destruction to the celestial city in Mount Zion. So as he goes there, there are all kinds of distractions, distractions that comes in. There was this hill of difficulty, the valley of humiliation. There is all kinds of distractions, um, distractions like he has to fight with Apollyon. And then there is this vanity fair that he enters and there are all kinds of goods laid out and offered to him. Things that are beautiful, delightful, tasty that tingles the lust of a human. And as he travels along, there are other travelers that comes along. They're called simple and sloth, presumption, formality, hypocrisy. And then there are bypasses called danger and destruction. They're all calling out to him. You'll probably find that familiar in our own lives as well. But there is this help that comes to Christian all through his way. And the help comes in, and the help is very simple. It says, keep focus, keep walking straight, don't fall asleep. It's no fancy stuff, but just keep walking because you are not on a travel later. You're progressing as a pilgrim. So let us not be distracted by the vanity fairs of our time and our lives let us not be distracted by mere religious formality, thinking that good works will save us, nor sloth, thinking that we're on this travel later and we'll just close our eyes, open our eyes, we'll arrive. 
Peter says we are not. We need to keep our eyes and our focus on Jesus Christ. And all that has been promised to us, we have to gird up the loins of our minds to come and our focus on this journey, to set our hope on the grace, because all this will affect your decision and my decision on a day-to-day basis. Tomorrow, the day after, the decisions we make, the people that we want to get married to, how we spend our money, how we fill out our calendars, because while we live in this same space as everyone else, our hope is meant to be on God. Now, I remember a pastor who said this to parents who were sending their kids overseas to study. And he said this. I remember it after 20 years. He said this. Choose church before you choose the school. That's the last thing any parent does because you want to find the best school. He says, choose the church before you choose the school because you want your children to come back as a strong Christian and not an arrogant atheist. That is radical for this world, but that is a change of what is your hope on. A worker that she will focus and her emphasis on her faithfulness at work rather than the ladder that she can climb. A student, a youth in school, focus on his godliness or her godliness rather than to be accepted by the coolest clique in school. There is a change when our focus is different. And so this is said by Peter to the first readers, and the same comes to us. Perhaps we need to pause each morning when we grab our coffee or hot chocolate, or else sometime in the middle of the day, to say, what is my hope today? I wonder if you have asked that recently. What is my hope today? As you can't sleep, because some of us might have sleep apnea or um, and, and insomnia, when you can't sleep, Ask yourself this question. What hope do you have today? Now Peter, to help his readers to work through that, he brings them to remember their identity and the implication of their identity. And so it culminates to verse 16 that says, And be holy because God is holy. Well, before he gets there, actually, Peter says in verse 14, look at it with me, he says, As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you live in ignorance. So as the children of God, they have already started their obedience by trusting in Jesus. And now Peter says, you continue with that obedience by turning away from your past. It's not a dead thing. It comes alive and you have to beat it down. Peter didn't state clearly or specifically if he's talking about Jews or Gentiles. But if you look at how he refers to their past ignorance of God instead of rebellion against God's law in verse 14, or later in verse 18, that their ancestors handed them an empty way of life, Peter seems to be speaking with Gentiles in mind, or at least congregation of people where Gentiles are there. But it doesn't matter if it's Jews or Gentiles. His point is this, whatever is your past, leave it behind. Because we are now children of God and we no longer live for our past evil desires. Because now we are not living in ignorance, but we are living in knowledge of God. Now in the past, their way of living was shaped not by stupidity as what we think, but ignorance of God. And so they live as God of their own lives. And Peter says, no longer, no longer. 
Do not turn back to the world to be your functional God. Do not sell yourself off to this world because of the goods it offers to you. Verse 15, 16 says this, But just as God who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. The language of being called by God is crucial and it will come back for the rest of the letter in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5. Now, you and I, we know everything changed when you get called by someone important. If you're in school and your, your coach called you and said, hey, you're going to be in the school team, everything changes. When your boss at work calls you in and says, you're going to be the HOD, everything changes. When a country calls you and says, hey, you're going to be the president, everything changes. But now something is much grander here. God is calling us, hey, you're going to be holy because I am holy. It is not a whip or a joy killer. It is a joy and a privilege that God calls us and calls us to be holy. Now, what does it mean for God to be holy? Well, the holiness of God is, it is God's nature and fundamentally an attribute of God. This is that one attribute that gets repeated three times in parts of the Bible. You have it in Isaiah 6, Revelation 4, where God is called holy, holy, and holy. It tells us distinctively that God is separate from all other createdness created things. He is the holiest of holiest, and because of that, he deserves to be worshipped by all things created. Now, we read of God's distinct separateness from creation right at the very first verse of the Bible. If you have a Bible, flip to it. The very first verse of your Bible, what does it say? In Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so if you use some theological jargons, they use this word, creatio ex nihilio, which means created something out of nothing. You and I, we know how to create, but we always have to have some materials to create. So you have this chain of industries, but God created out of nothing. And He alone is that eternal, and everything else have a beginning. And that's why worshipping material things it's so repulsive before God. Because we are not just talking about somebody, we are talking about an eternal God. For us to worship material things or to worship ourselves is so repulsive and sinful towards Him that it is to our own destruction. It is like a fish that dislikes water, a bird that hates the wings, a plant that doesn't like sunlight, a human that doesn't want oxygen. That is what we are talking about when we worship other things but the Creator God. It is by the sure grace and sustenance of God that you and I, we are still sitting here and we are going for lunch after this. It is by the sure grace of God that we are not destroyed the way that a fish would be dead in moments out of the water, that the bird would be off the sky, out of the wings, that we are rejecting God and we are walking around like dead cops eating our chicken chop later. Now, as we consider the seriousness of our human rebellion, at the same time, we need to be amazed that the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would want to receive us and save us. We saw that last week right at chapter 1, verse 2, 
that tells us that God chose us, He sanctified us, and then He cleansed us. So now when God says He's holy, He's referring to His own attribute of being distinctly separate from everything else He's created. But what does it mean then for you and I to be holy? Surely we can't be God because we are not God. Well, it paints the picture of Christians being separated from what is against or rebellious against God. It's separating from that. It is to reflect the image of God, the way that we were meant to be. We are called to be holy because we are now bound in this new relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this command to be holy because God is holy is taken right out from Leviticus 11. I want to bring us back to Leviticus 11 to see the context of it and the amazement of this. So I put it up on the screen for us. In Leviticus 11, 43, this is what it says, Do not defile yourselves. Do not make yourselves unclean. Now, why? Because I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean. He goes on to say, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. This is one of the most amazing passages because even before they have learned what is holiness, God came and rescued them from slavery and prepared an inheritance, the promised land for them and says, we are heading that way. I'm going with you. I am your God. And because I'm your God and I'm with you, be holy. Because I am holy. It is an amazing offer of God. A relationship. It is not that whip or joy killer. Now, Peter gave this command to Christians because we have a relationship with God. So how does Christians then set ourselves to be holy? What does it mean in practice? Well, our distinction or our separation will not be seen in how we dress, how eloquent we are in speech, how big the church building is, or whatever other things that we have. Now, there's something that's not so obvious in the NIV or ESV. I'd like to get you to look at your Bible. But in the original language, Peter actually emphasized one word three times. He used this word conduct. Verse 15, he actually says this, Be holy... In your conduct, which in your NIV we are translated as all you do. Again, verse 17, he says, conduct yourselves as foreigner. Or verse 18, you were redeemed from the vain conduct handed down to you from your ancestors. No, Peter is saying the call to be holy is a call to conduct ourselves rightly before God. Now, when we think about trying to live a conduct that's holy, we need to be reminded that our act cannot save us because we are going to fail. But what does it do? It does this, that in our conduct, when we are holy before God and towards others, people recognize to whom we truly belong and to what hope we truly have. That is the separateness the Israelites were called to have and the same for Christians today. Perhaps we may ask ourselves, can our family, our friends, our colleagues 
see some separateness in the choices that we make, in the decisions that we do, in the way we behave. It is curiously weird, but curiously different. Perhaps for this week, we could start reflecting what are some areas in our lives that are not distinctively Christian or are obviously rebellious that we need to ask God to help us to steer our eyes towards the grace that he has prepared for us, only that we will walk towards it. Now, before we get too discouraged, because you could be thinking 101 things, no, I'm not holy, I'm, my conducts are not doing well. Well, here's the thing. We're not meant to be comfortable. In fact, uh, I really like what J.C. Rice said 100 years ago in his book uh, called Holiness. He suggests this, that the deep sense of struggle between our old nature and our new nature is not a sign that we are not seeking to please God. But it could be a good thing, it could be a healthy spiritual condition to realize that we are spiritually still alive and we are not dead. He said this, A true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, but war within. He may be known by his warfare as well as by his peace. Christians are not living on top of a coconut tree, feeling all the hums and the peace. We are at war. We are walking on a journey. And that is how it is. And so finally, to help us in our pilgrim's progress, Peter gave us this third command. And this command will help us to be holy, not by sheer force or by sheer will. But he calls us to look at God. To look at God and knows Him. To live in reverent fear of God. Verse 17. And just as God has called us to be His children, it's a privilege we have. We can call, or in fact we can pray to God and call Him Father. Let's look at verse 17 together with me, would you? Verse 17. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, Leave out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, for those of us who have very imperfect fathers, like my son and my daughter, I come to realize we need to recognize God as a father, not by what we have experienced, but going back to what the Bible says about God. We must understand God as explained by scriptures, because God is not an ATM machine. God is not that white beard Santa Claus. He's not a slave master. He's not that deep pocket that keeps giving you good stuff because he's not around for you. That is not God. He's not a God who we can control and manipulate. God is a father who knew that we live a life in vain conduct like our fathers did. But yet he loved us enough to redeem us, verse 18, and sent the highest cost to save us, verse 19. He knew we can't see him in our sinfulness, so he came down into our human history and timeline and showed us his love, and he took on the infinite judgment we are meant to have so that we can see not just the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus, and we can have faith and hope in Him that the journey's end point is going to be infinitely beautiful. But we must not forget, God, who is our Father, is also the judge of everyone 
who lived and who are created. He's not that biased father who is harsh on others, but really nice to his children. Because he cannot be blind towards our conduct. So if we have, because I have, if we have trivialized or take lightly our parents' discipline in the past, or our children have, we need to be careful that we don't think of God that way, that he can be trivialized, that he can be stepped on, that if we just ignore him, he will persuade us a bit and give us some ways to love We should not trivialize God because Peter says he is the holy God and he is the judge. The day that we set our hope for the day of salvation is at the same time the day of judgment. That will be a horrific day for those who do not know God because they will face the infinite wrath of God because we deserve the infinite judgment and there's nowhere to hide. But even for Christians, it's a great day of fear because we know that God sees and knows everything about us. That on that day, we only cling on to the hope that we have. And I hope that we have that clear. That it is in Jesus that we will escape the wrath and judgment of God. Peter gave us in this verse 17 is for our own good because the danger is that we have a wrong perception of God and we skive through our life thinking that this God that is not from Scripture is going to save us. And when we go there, we can't find Him. And so he gave us verse 17. If you're not yet a Christian or you're still thinking about Christianity, I'm just so thankful that you're here. But can I invite you to, to think and ponder if what the Bible says is true? If it's true, there is an infinite God, then the judgment to rebel against him has to be an infinite judgment. And you and I can't afford bear it. But if he's like a Santa Claus, think again, is that really a God that you believe and you want? But if what the Bible says is true, the horror is great, but the offer is far greater. That he has sent his son to die for you and me, to bear infinite wrath. God and Jesus alone can do that because he is the infinite son who can bear infinite wrath. There's no other way. Our good works, our attempt to pay pennies, to pay for a death judgment, it's not going to work. And I pray that this will be a great time to think and ponder. If you've studied the Bible and it's not true, you can go out and live your hope with all confidence. But if it's true, this is a great chance to believe and receive what God has offered. And for us Christians, those of us who are Christians, to live out our lives as foreigners here in reverent fear is to acknowledge on a day-to-day basis of the God we call Father, who is also the Holy Judge. Now, to live carelessly and chasing our passion is a great dangerous place to be at. That is what Peter wants us to know. It's a great and dangerous place to be at, that we live in a fantasy of a God who is not found in Scriptures. In fact, the opposite is true. To live in reverent fear of God, you know what it does? That when we sin, we run back to God and plead upon Him and kneel upon the cross and ask God to find for forgiveness of our sins and we find it. 
And Jesus is there because His blood has been shed for us. And we find comfort and forgiveness. It is in reverent fear and not that, hey God, sorry, and the way that we might say to our parents is not meaning. It is in reverent fear that we'll seek God for forgiveness and we find comfort and hope. It is in reverent fear that we desire to be holy in our conduct because we have a close relationship with God through Jesus. It is in the reverent fear of God that we set our hope on the future so that the goods that are being sold to us along the way does not distract us. It is the reverent fear of God that is, help, that is to help us see the holiness of God and to help us to grasp on to the hope and to gird up our loins and carry on. We're not on a travelator. As I close this time, I remember this uh, account many years, I have to emphasize, many, many years ago. Okay, I, I met this um, Singaporean doctor. He was a missionary in Thailand. I see him every, every year. He'll be always at the drug rehab center. And he's a very interesting guy because he likes to wear sarong. Do you know sarongs? You see that in Singapore where, where, where men wear the sarongs. And it's really cool when I saw a Singaporean Chinese wearing sarong in Thailand. He says, when it's hot, he can roll it up, it's cool. When it's cool, he rolls it up, it's hot. When mosquito comes, it blocks him. And when the road is muddy, there's no hard road. It rolls up, he girded it up, he walk. I said, hey, that's cool. You know what I did? Came back, I went to Arab Street in Singapore, bought two sets for myself. No one else saw it. My wife knows it. She was laughing just now at the first service. But the thing is, is I didn't know how to gird up the loins. Oh, I didn't know how to gird up the song very well. And there's no way I'm going to leave my house with that. And after a while, the fat just, just goes off. It didn't work for me. But I pray that is not how we deal with our spiritual life. That we have a Bible with us. We have God's Word with us. But we do not carefully hold on to it and be attentive to it. That we are still dozing off. Even though we have what it is to give us. So Peter says... Gird up the loins of your mind. Set our hope on God's grace, verse 13. Be holy because God is holy, verse 16. And live in reverent fear of God. Let us pray. Oh Father, we thank you that you have given us such precious word in our hands. We have so many copies of it on our phones at home. Some places, they don't even have one. We pray, God, as we open up your word each day or each week, that you will sharpen our minds, bring us into focus, give us the spiritual caffeine we need, that our minds are set on the hope of that glorious grace when Jesus appears. At the same time, help us to be holy in our conduct, not that you will save us, but because you are holy and we are in a relationship with you through our Lord Jesus. As we struggle with living our lives each day, with our struggles, with trials and temptations, help us to see you clearly and to have that reverent fear that will save us because we will run to you and plea on you, not with our good works, not with our explanations, but on the cross and the blood of Jesus that has been shed to bear that infinite judgment that we will escape if we hold on to you. We pray all this for your glory and the glory of our Lord Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.